Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and we're going to talk about sleep today. And if I say to women going through perimenopause, what are the symptoms that are bothering you the most? After anxiety, I would say sleep is near the top of the list, simply because women are struggling with a reasonable number of symptoms that can impact our sleep, and we sleep less well as we get older. And sleep or lack of it really impacts the quality of our life. We don't feel we can get on top of things. It can exacerbate our brain fog and really make us irritable and moody when we're already that. So there are lots of tips and tools out there of how to sleep better, but I wanted to look a little deeper under the hood and build a little bit of the understanding of why we're not sleeping. And from that basis, you may be better supported how to sleep better. And I have on the show today someone who is a sleep specialist and a chronobiologist. She's Dr. Cat. She's known to us as Dr. Cat. And she is someone who really is a specialist in the biology of sleep and who coaches women one-to-one to sleep better. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cat. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have you here because sleep is something I've struggled with, but it's also something I'm personally very interested in. And I can't wait to have this conversation. Really, I think firstly to understand is how does sleep even work? What's going on in our biology in, if we were just sleeping well or not? Mm. Yeah, good good question. And and something you, you said a moment ago that you, you were interested in sleep. I think one thing is we, we all sleep. We all need sleep. So we all have a sleep experience. And it's something that everyone can relate to, whatever the experience is, good or bad. But we, we all have something to say because we all have the experience of it. So uh, I think it's a fascinating topic in any case, but particularly because of that reason, I think it is so fascinating. But yeah, how does sleep work? Sleep is, in a nutshell, it's, it's generated in the brain. There are different brain areas and neurotransmitters that promote wakefulness. And then we, on the other hand, we also have areas and neurotransmitters that promote sleep. And these two areas, wake-promoting, sleep-promoting, they work a bit like a flip-flop switch. So you're either awake or asleep, at least in the healthy individual. That's what's happening there. And then on top of that, we have um, two factors in a way that regulate this flip-flop switch. And one is what we call the sleep need or sleep drive. I don't know why we have two different names for this. But let's just go with the sleep need. And the sleep need is really simple. And it works in the sense that when you wake up in the morning, and let's just assume you've had a good night's sleep. 
and I appreciate for some of your listeners that might not be the case. So for this experiment, let's just assume you've had a good night's sleep, meaning when you wake, your need to sleep is zero. But then with every hour that you are awake, you build up this need for sleep. Uh, sleepiness increases. So this need for sleep increases. And after about 16 hours, then you have enough sleepiness and you want to go to bed. In the average person, it's about 16 hours. The other factor that we have is our biological clock or the circadian clock. And that's, by the way, that's in an area in our brain. It's about 50,000 cells in the human being, and which we call the clock. And this clock sets the timing for all the different processes and functions in your body. Now, this cycle of sleep and wake is probably the most pronounced one that we really pay attention to. Every hormone, for example, follows also a circadian rhythm. And this clock then coming back to the sleep, sets the timing for when we sleep and when we wake up. And so, as I say, it's these two processes, the sleep need and the biological clock that work together to either have us asleep or have us. I was a brilliant, really simple explanation there, Kat, of, of what's really quite a complex biological mm. process. Yeah. And our circadian rhythms are day and night, but they can also be Am I right? There can be seasons as well, dependent in the winter and the summer. Yeah, we we might have different sleep patterns. Yeah, so it looks like sleep is a bit longer in the winter than it is in summer. It's a little bit difficult to say with human beings because our modern world we have electric lighting. Now, why does that matter? I mentioned the body clock that sits up in the brain, and this clock sets the rhythm for everything that happens in the body, which is about about 24 hours. That's what the word circadian means, almost. Now, for us human beings to really function and thrive in this world, we need to be kept on a 24-hour cycle, on an exact 24-hour cycle, because the external world, like dark cycle, is 24 hours. And the way we are being kept in synchrony with the outside world is through the exposure to light. So we have a special photoreceptor in our eyes, not for vision, simply light detection. And that little one is very sensitive to blue light, by the way. And when that sees light, it passes on the message to the clock in the brain. And then the clock knows, ah, it's daytime. And it tells the rest of the body, daytime, be active. When it goes dark, equally an important signal, then the clock knows, ah, so nighttime is coming. And then the clock will release melatonin. Some of your listeners may have heard of this hormone. The clock releases melatonin during the nighttime to tell the rest of the body it's nighttime now. You can slow down and start the nighttime processes. Mm. And of course, we've messed with that completely now in our modern world, haven't we? Yeah, exactly. That's the electric lighting, right? We can manipulate our light exposure, particularly with blue light emitting screens like phones, laptops. They're really powerful, particularly in the evening hours. Yes, yes. And so that's you see a lot of those base recommendations of not looking at your phone and turning and dimming your lights. There, there is a real biological reason for those yeah. common tips and tools we see. Exactly. But turning to perimenopausal women, there is a real shift. And we know that women in perimenopause and women who are postmenopause have some of the worst sleep if we look across all age groups and, and both sexes. 
what are some of the reasons why we see such a shift in our sleep? And women maybe who've been sleeping really well and said always had eight hours and now I'm getting two or three, I'm exhausted. What is going on that's creating that? Probably a lot. And one side will be biology. And within that, there are lots of factors. And I think the other is more around lifestyle and uh, social norms and expectations, both put to the woman as well as the woman has for itself and the woman has for herself. But coming back to the biology, as part of going through the menopause, as part of going through the menopause, we know that hormonal levels change. They fluctuate, they go up and down, but also the ratio between the different hormones changes a lot. Now, we have receptors for these hormones up in the brain including in these centers which promote wake and which promote sleep. Um, So this goes back to to that first question that you asked. And so what that means then, these fluctuating levels of, of hormones, they will then also have different, they create a different reaction in the brain in those centers involved in our sleep regulation. So that could be one way of how these poor sleep Um, or how these problems come about. And I think then, just going with the example that you just mentioned, it can affect any woman, including women who have slept fine until the onset of the menopause transition. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, and what I see, whether it is a woman, you know, entering into menopause stage or someone else, good sleeper to suddenly experience poor sleep, that can be a really scary experience. If someone Mm -hmm. has had poor sleep, since their childhood or maybe early 20s at university it's still debilitating but it's not as scary because they they know the drill it's a bit flippant maybe they they know what's happening but for someone who's always slept well and suddenly it's almost like that rug has been pulled away under their feet very scary and then you've got this anxiety loop and we know anxiety and sleep they don't really go together No, definitely not. And I think that you're right. There are other factors, aren't there, beyond anxiety. There's also a less production of melatonin, isn't there, as we age? Yeah, so there are some studies. It's a bit inconsistent, but we certainly know with age um, we produce less melatonin. Whether there's something specific going on for women going through the menopausal transition is not quite clear, like I say, different studies, but certainly melatonin production reduces as we age. And so that's another factor that we experience sleep problems as we're aging. It's got nothing to do with going through the menopause. There's the additional factor of we age and things change. Yeah. So there are quite a lot of factors. And I love that you mentioned anxiety. It's, I think, now recognized as probably the most common and debilitating symptom of menopause that I think a lot of the time we talked about people go oh hot flashes and night sweats yes they can contribute here Mm -hmm. but anxiety is often a thing that keeps us really unable to sleep or unable to get back to sleep what is going on a deeper level with that Mm -hmm. so one theory is that with the anxiety what happens in in the body and also in the brain is a hyperarousal hyperarousal or certainly an inability to de-arouse we stay in this alert space or state and I always liken it to to being like a a meerkat they live in groups and they always forage and eat and there's typically one individual that sort of stands up goes up in a bush or onto a tree somewhere higher and, and scans the environment for any kind of danger and that 
that individual is super alert. It's tense, the pupils are dilated, they're really focused, they're literally scanning, scanning and scanning. They can't be distracted because they're so focused on where's the danger going to come from. And something similar, I find, is what happens at, at night, can also happen in the day, but talking about sleep at night, this sort of scanning, where's the danger going to come from? And it's a bit like we turn into like a superwoman in the sense of we've got 100% hearing and our vision is 120%. We are looking for any kind of disturbance to our sleep externally or internally coming from within the body. And in a way, in that hyper-aroused state, you, you, you will notice or you might interpret something as much more threatening than it might really be to your sleep. Yeah, so that's when I would say, I hear women say, oh, there's noises at night or my husband's snoring a lot or I'm more sensitive to temperature, which is, I think, some of the hot flash that we're suddenly yeah. really hot. Or we just can't stop thinking, can we, Kat? There's this yeah. constant thing and, and ridiculous things running through our own head. You know, we're thinking about, you know, what's going to happen to my children when they grow up or the world's going to... Things that are not, you know, rational are running through our minds. Yeah, absolutely. And the next morning, it's, oh, why did I spend hours thinking about that? I once had one one lady who would lie there in bed this way before the pandemic. What should I wear tomorrow in the office? It was the biggest thing. And in a way, for, for someone going through the menopause with, with hot flushes, which can happen at any time, it, it makes sense that this is, in that sense, yeah, it is something to think about. But in the middle of the night, probably less helpful. But for her, she was so caught up in that thought. And then in the morning, it's like, oh, why, why did I spend hours fretting about what to wear? But it, it's a bit of a spiral. What should I wear? What do the other things? What if I do have a hot flush? And so on and so forth. And yeah, you end up, I don't know, 10 days later in your mind, you've traveled 10 days into the future. Yeah, exactly. And then you're in a vicious cycle because that behavior becomes your behavior pattern. Yeah, exactly. What you then try almost to avoid, that's in a way exactly what's happening, which for you reinforces, oh, I really must work hard to avoid this. Actually, you're pulling it closer and closer, or keeping it closer. Yes. And of course, then what's happening is that you are, your mind is thinking, you're in a spiral, next night gets worse until it is a situation of three hours sleep a night. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's the vicious yeah. cycle yeah, of insomnia. Yes. Mm. And I think people are very clear that this is what's happening to them. And yet, they don't know what they can do to change it. Yeah, And I think then, then we're given lots of tips and sort of tools and, and you often hear people say, I tried and they didn't quite work. So what kind of behaviors do we need to, I think, adopt or change in order to help ourselves to sleep? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. A lot of people say, I, oh, I follow sleep hygiene, I apply all the rules and nothing is changing. And, uh, and for me, there's already sort of a, a flaw in this word rules, because they generate that belief that if I follow the rules, I'm a good person, and then I get what I deserve, because I followed the rules. And so if that then doesn't happen, there will be disappointment and resentment. But also, if I happen to... At Arizona State University, we're committed to our students' success. That's why we've designed our online courses to utilize adaptive technology for enhanced learning. Explore more than 300 programs online from the nation's most innovative university. Visit asuonline.asu.edu. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the best ever Big Mac burger. Take it away, Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. 
He said, there's more special sauce in every bite. Rubble, rubble. He said, rubble, rubble. Rubble, rubble. Rubble, rubble indeed, my friend. Try the juicier Big Mac and get 20% off any purchase of $10 or more. Only on the app. Comparison to prior classic burgers, limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid once per day. Exclude stacks. Must be opted into rewards. Break a rule. Right, let's just say I have coffee at five, but we all told to not have any caffeine after two or three p.m. Um, so I've broken that rule. Oh, what a bad person am I? And yet now I'm doomed. That night, this coming night, that will be the end of it. So I'm. That's for me already the first thing with, with this word. It is I find unhelpful. What to do or what not to do? I think for me it starts off with taking an honest look. How is what I'm doing? How is that working? How is that serving me? How is that serving me in the long term? Not just short term, but actually in the long term. How is that serving me? And in a way, why am I doing it? What are my drivers? And for many for many of my clients, what, what they do at night, it, it could be you're taking sleeping pills or over-the-counter pills or um, mindful breathing or, or counting or whatever else as, as a breathing exercise sometimes people get up go for a walk in the house outside but get up or read do some work do the ironing all of this doing is aimed at avoiding feeling anxious or frustration or the busy racing mind which doesn't always need yeah. to be worry most instances it is but not always but that busy racing mind it's all aimed at not experiencing that. No way. It's like they're digging their heels, resistance, not having any of this. right? And what that does in a way is two things. Uh, First of all, it means the body, again, comes back to this alertness, the hyper alertness. The body is very tense, right? Because when we resist something, digging in my heels, it's like, no. So there's a lot of tension in there. But there's also a message sent to the brain. And that is these feelings of anxiety, frustration, or racing mind, that's dangerous. That's bad. We shouldn't have that. And so the brain will then start to look out for any of these symptoms. And when it detects them, then it sounds the alarm signal. Anxiety levels rise. Tension levels rise. And it's like, whoa, they're coming. And the body, again, becomes even more hyper alert, which is the exact opposite of what we want, calm and relaxing. Yes, exactly. So it's the classic Jungian, what we resist persists message. And it's this hardening. And as someone who's a mindfulness practitioner and works has worked with people with chronic pain, we know they harden to their pain. And of course, then they say, I feel this intensely. Here we're hardening Mm. in our minds and resisting these feelings instead of softening and moving towards them, which is quite a scary thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, in addition, we, we're losing progesterone tremendously in perimenopause, which has a huge role to play in the amygdala and the hypothalamus, the two centers of the brain that, you know, control our fight flight mechanism. So it's probably a double whammy for us at this time. Yeah. And also the, the sleepiness related to that. Yeah, absolutely. But I want to come back to what you your question was what to do. So for me, it's about letting go of all that doing. Because in most instances, it isn't helpful, right? This avoidance of what is showing up isn't helpful. And so what I help my, my clients do is developing, yeah, an acceptance or maybe the word acknowledgement or allowing resonates more. First of all, acknowledge what's happening. Acknowledge in an objective in an objective mode or, or way. Maybe bringing in some self-care or 
and I could start with understanding. And it, this is what I'm going through. Many other women are going through as well. It's part of female biology. There's only so much I can control this. There's some parts I can, other parts I can't. So this understanding, hey, others are going through this as well, is common humanity, because that can provide actually some safeness, this feeling connected to others. And then from there, we, yeah, we move further, making space for these uncomfortable feelings and sensations, as well as learning to step back from that racing mind. I gave that example of the lady who was so worried, what should I wear tomorrow? And, you know, how that spiraled her and, you know, took her really down the rabbit hole. How can we step back from that? How we can, how can we just simply step back from these thoughts, not fight with them, not trying to get rid of them. Just say, thanks mind for this thought. It's an interesting one. For now though, it's not really helpful. Let's park. But it all comes down to this accepting or allowing. I allow myself to experience this situation. Yes, which is the basis of acceptance commitment therapy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That we meet our experience as it is and just observe it in some ways, which is a very novel way for us as humans to behave, but incredibly effective. Yeah, absolutely. We, we are almost brought up and society very much works like this. Take control of the things, the problems, you know, that you are facing and problems, you know, per definition are things we don't like, we don't want. So go and fix it by taking control. And in the external world, that, that works. If I don't like the color of my hair, or I go, I book in a session and can't get it colored, done. But when it comes to internal stuff, thoughts, feelings, emotions, bodily sensations, that same strategy of control actually doesn't work. And, and in many cases, it just backfires. And so here, it's about learning, at least trying a, a different approach. Neither is is right or wrong. It's just in this situation, what is actually more helpful for me? And instead of trying to deliberately change the behavior, either you're more allowing it here is what you're saying, Kat, and observing it and then understanding whether this serves me or not. And in a sense, it's a gentler approach, but much more, sometimes more effective than actually trying to change the particular habit. Absolutely, because it means you enable or give your body and brain the opportunity to slow down again. The moment you don't see anxiety, frustration or racing mind as a threat, just as an unpleasant experience, but no longer as a threat, so that inner meerkat can come off guard, that can step down meaning the body can relax, can become calmer. And then two things can happen. You either fall asleep or you may not, but you are resting. You're resting in this peaceful state and that will save you energy, right? Energy you then have for the next day. Now, admittedly, not as much as you would if you're sleeping, absolutely, but you have that energy the next day to do the things that you enjoy doing and when we do what we enjoy if you know we we fulfill our purpose we get that sense of yeah meaningfulness and with that comes an inner joy i use that word happiness we we feel good we feel good and what that means for sleep is well that pressure to sleep well at night that goes down because i realize that hey even if i don't sleep you know through the night i actually can still do the things i enjoy as long as I don't get into that struggle with not sleeping and all that showing up, I can still do the things I enjoy in the next That is beautiful. And there's a huge amount of self-compassion, isn't there, in that approach, which 
is something I think many women lack. And we we think of caring for others, but that actual sense of ourselves and bringing that kindness back to us is a huge step forward in helping us all round, particularly in a time of change like the menopause. Yeah, absolutely. We we have this, I think particularly us as women, we have this natural gift of empathy for others, but applying that to ourselves, there's a lot of yeah barriers that, that are almost like being put up. And so we do the opposite. We beat ourselves up for not functioning how we used to function or not looking for how we used to look. Or if there's some sort of memory or just that the brain works a bit slower, which absolutely can happen in the menopause or transition for various reasons, again, we beat ourselves up. All that does is it keeps that threat system in the brain activated. Again, that experience of brain fog or maybe not looking as young, that's something dangerous not sleeping it's so it keeps actually the brain engaged that same threat system that alertness is there so learning as you what you were alluding to learning to relate to myself more compassionately in this kind understanding way has huge benefits and there's now research also backing this up looking at self-compassion in women going through the menopause and the same with sleep. And so it's, it's beautiful to the direct experience with clients as well as the research showing, yep, there is value in this. Indeed. And I think that those learning to accept and bringing a lot of compassion, I think, are often the turning point for many women in whatever symptoms they're experiencing in their experience of life in general. I've always seen that as the transformative part. We build the awareness, but then the real transformation comes in those stages of working with people and then they're suddenly like oh I have slept all night or I feel like this about myself and they notice the symptoms are dialing back because of the shift they've made in their their brain it's like stepping off the hamster wheel and giving yourself that or the meerkat eyes wide open and giving yourself cutting yourself a bit of a slack sometimes and that sense of we're not broken we're not wrong we just are yeah exactly right we just are so this is i think this is fundamentally it can i allow myself to be as i am whether i like it or not it's perfectly fine that to wish i'd like something different but can i allow myself in this moment to be as i am and then from that space or how can I best support myself right now? What is it that that I need? Yes. And are there any particular healthy habits that you would say support sleep over and above, obviously, this shift in the way in which we approach our thoughts and our busy mind? So I think in, in addition to that, for me, there are some healthy sleep habits. And I, I prefer calling them habits rather than rules because for me habits is something I can amend to to make it work or fit in with my life because everyone's life is, is is different so applying one rule to everyone I think can't work so uh, habits I can modify them a little bit I can adapt them but yeah so what's important so for me there's very much about having regular sleep times so finding out what is my sleep window when is the timing and how much sleep do I do I need? And then giving yourself the opportunity to sleep within that sleep window every night. Now, it won't happen every night because life is life. Things happen. We want to go out. We go to the theater. We are ill. Child is ill. We travel. All of that can happen. That's perfectly fine. As long as these are outliers and from overall, let's say five nights out of seven, 
I really stick to my sleep window. And then the other for me is light exposure, particularly in the morning. It will give our body clock that signal daytime has started. So it's that resetting, right? We stay in synchrony with the external world. But we also know that, you know, light exposure is good for our mood. And if I can combine that with movement, be that going for a walk or doing exercise outside, you know, gentle stretching, whatever it might be. Uh, again, we've got another boost to our mood that, that occurs there as well. And then the third one is, for me, doing something you enjoy every day. Doing something, no matter big, small, but something that you enjoy that's for you, that gives you the sense of me time. I've done something for myself. And that could be alone, that could be with other people, that might be within your work, but something that really, where you bring your, your full awareness to it, and, okay, and this is for me, this sense, again, of fulfillment, of purpose, I think is really important. And to, yeah, look for that in, in every day. Because what that means from a sleep perspective, it's or rather that the brain can gets this message yeah done I've done something for myself I've achieved something I use that word carefully um and I can now slow down in the evening I can now slow down that is um, so these are for me the three big habits yeah I love those and I think those are things that people can cultivate in their life um, and bring it in their own way without there being a prescriptive sense of how they do that yeah yeah, exactly. It's the choice. It's it's the choice. And, and it comes back to what I said a moment ago, see what works for me. Running little experiments to find that out. But what works for me rather than just following what sort of the general advice is. Yeah, I think that's less helpful. That's beautiful. Thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing so succinctly the biology and how we can actually begin a process to improve the way we sleep, to give ourselves the sleep we want and take that from perimenopause into the rest of our lives. And of course, if you're not in perimenopause and you're maybe pre-menopause, these things still apply. Yeah, <laughs> it, it applies to everyone in some ways. Where can people connect with you and find out more about the work you do, um, probably the, the best is my um, website, which is somnia.org.uk. Instagram, Somnia Sleep Well, or Twitter. But I think website is probably the best. That is beautiful. Kat, thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge and your passion. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.